Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. Now, tell me something. Who doesn't know where that music comes from? The classic 1960s television series, Batman, of course. And that's a good way for us to start our program today because we're going to be exploring on Communication Mixdown superheroes and the old ones, the new ones, and their social, cultural, and political significance. There's a symposium going on right now here in Melbourne, and it's called Superhero Identities. And there's going to be presenters, panels, and comic book artists all taking part. I was lucky enough earlier in the week to catch up with one of the organizers of the symposium. Swinburne University of Technology. He researches and writes extensively on... Liam Burke is a media studies lecturer at Swinburne University of Technology. He researches and writes extensively on popular culture and the role of superheroes. He's part of a team of researchers that got a special grant to investigate the social importance and historical evolution of the superhero. Thanks for being with us today, Liam. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, I can hear some people saying something like this, Hey, how come these university people get government money to research comic books and movie superheroes? How do you explain your superhero research? And it's a good question, but if you think about it, the superheroes have been the most popular uh, movies of the past 15 years. Their TV shows are fan favorites, everything from The Flash to Netflix shows like Jessica Jones. Some of the best-selling video games of the past 10 years have been Batman, Arkham Asylum, and so on. So, and if you go beyond that to convention cosplay and just the sheer dominance of superheroes in popular culture for the past 15 years, and their long-standing history on the comic book page dating back over 75 years, even though they're popular, I mean, we need to understand why they're popular. That, in terms of an, on an industrial level, in terms of a cultural level, and in terms of an economic level, why are these characters that have been in constant publication for 75 years, why are they still so rooted in popular culture and arguably more popular than they've ever been? 
we really want to understand that from a variety of perspectives. Your research project has the title Superheroes and Me. And what's intriguing for me is the thinking behind that title, especially the me bit. How do you account for that? So we're really interested in how people use superheroes. Because for some people, their superhero fandom stops at a Marvel movie on a Friday night. For others, they might read comics religiously. But others uh, become uh, cosplay enthusiasts. They dress up as them and they go to their favorite comic book convention. And others, again, use them as aspirational or inspirational figures. We think of various uh, community groups or activist groups that have used the figure of the superhero a couple of months ago. Uh, the people of Sydney, as part of a Make-A-Wish Foundation, celebrated Iron Kid, a young child suffering with cystic fibrosis. This was obviously a, a repetition of the Bat Kid uh, story from a couple of years ago in San Francisco, where a similar Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, event was held. So there are group, people use superheroes in different ways, uh, whether they're their online avatars, whether they're something they emblazon on their T-shirt, where it's the way they bond with their kids. And so... What we're doing is we're going out, and so far we've already spoken to 100 fans and creators and celebrities about who their favorite superheroes are, how they would go about defining a superhero, and what they mean for them in a given time period. These characters are an interesting kind of prism through which a a variety of interests, anxieties, concerns, uh, aspirations uh, are are worked through. And they really are kind of folkloric figures, uh, the modern equivalent of Greek myths or... Robin Hood or whatever it might be. Give us a little bit of an idea of, of some of the kinds of responses that you got. So we've spoken to 100 fans of different Melbourne comic book conventions for the past year. And what's interesting is they often point to how uh, the superhero is a form of escapism. Uh, some of them point to uh, personal difficulties, mundane jobs, and whether it's watching a movie, reading a comic, or dressing up as their favorite character, it, it affords them uh, a level of escapism. But they're not sort of uh, kind of blindly devoted to these figures. They are very self-aware people. They realize that this is just something that they indulge in on the weekends. And they many draw equivalents with uh, sports fandom. They talk about footy fans and say, I'm no different than a Hawks or a Carlton supporter who put on their... Uh, their jersey and go to their game and get overexcited and then you know that's their release that's their that's uh, their mechanism and I did read a little bit about your research and one of the things that I found very interesting is the there appeared to be a contradiction between the superhero fandom as considering itself sort of underground or alternative and at the same time the superhero basically being a commodity which was being sold by I suppose you could say the world's largest entertainment conglomerates like Time Warner and the Disney Corporation. How do do the fans, I suppose, deal with that kind of contradiction, or was that something that they dealt with at all? It is an interesting point. Uh, The majority of the superheroes we're familiar with are either published and produced by Time Warner and DC Comics, which is their subsidiary, or the Walt Disney Company and Marvel Comics. So these are huge businesses, yet comic book conventions are sometimes positioned as though they're an underground or niche culture, and to dress up as your favorite hero to attend these conventions is somehow transgressive or a very sort of alternative. Whereas, in fact, you know, these are blockbuster movies, it's not as alternative as, as it perhaps once was. And so I, we have spoken to the fans about you know, how they feel about it being, being mainstream. Do they ever feel exploited, becoming glorified mascots? Uh, for these corporate interests. 
And what they try to do is they try and find their own position within these kind of uh, intellectual properties. So they come up with their own variants and character types. A very popular figure at the moment is Harley Quinn. We have the Harley Quinn creator Paul Dini at our symposium. And so this is kind of an anarchic uh, Batman villain that a lot of people really gravitated to since the success of Suicide Squad, where she was played by Margot Robbie. But very few dress up as the, the Margot Robbie uh, character, wearing costumes that are bought from... Uh, you know, licensees of that, that movie or of DC Comics, but come as their own version of Harley Quinn. They take what they like about the character and they, you know, mash it up or remix it with mm. their own interests or their own perspective. And in that way, while they are obviously uh, in a policed playground, in that it's a playground that's still run by uh, these corporate interests, they find these moments, these opportunities for innovation, variation, and really to bring their own. Uh, interest and personality to the fore. Something that uh, intrigues me as as we're talking, where is the line that where a fan or a person would go from, say, watching the films, watching the superheroes, to actually engaging in the cosplay? Is there a moment that people have, or is it a process? Is that something that you explored? It seems to be a similar trajectory. A lot of them obviously have a long-standing interest in these characters. They might have had a friend or gone to a comic book convention seen other people dressed up, thought it was not for them initially, or just didn't necessarily have the confidence to do it. And they slowly almost, you know, uh, went to a convention, uh, very nervous at first, but then would become very much enmeshed in the the cosplay community. And the things about cosplay that appeal to them generally is this idea that it's showing their affection or enthusiasm for particular topic or particular character or particular storyline and meeting like-minded people. So again, to go back to that football analogy, it's like when you wear a jersey and you come across a fellow supporter of the same team, uh, that sort of you have an immediate moment where you can bond. A lot of these guys we spoke to might be the only superhero fan or comic book fan in their school, or in their workplace, or in their, in their social life. But in these conventions, at these movies, they get an opportunity to uh, be around like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And so cosplay is a, kind of one of the ways they can share uh, those communal links because they see at a distance, well, there's a Hardy Quinn fan, there's a fan of Spider-Man, there's a fan of uh, Power Rangers or whatever it might be. You've been tracking the superhero phenomenon for some time, as I understand it. Do you see any any major shifts that have occurred around this phenomenon? I, I can't put a date on it, but are there things that are changing dramatically or even not so dramatically over a period of time that you've been observing these things? I mean, the most interesting thing for a researcher about superheroes is their longevity. They've been around for 75 years in the kind of spandex mode that we associate with Superman. And they become great barometers for the age. They are not very subconsciously produced. They're not like a Pulitzer Prize winning play or an Oscar winning movie where someone maybe has sweated over it for years. They tend to grab from the headlines. And in that way, uh, they tend to pick up on the interest anxieties, trends of a given moment. So, for instance, you look at the late 1930s comic books. They emerged out of the kind of, uh, the kind of the despair of the depression, fear about the rise of fascism in Europe, uh, response to the challenges of the machine age. And then you move to the 1960s, you start to see uh, the characters that are created then, like the Incredible Hulk, Fantastic Four, X-Men and Spider-Man, are really a response to unchecked scientific advance. 
because these characters all gain their powers from science experiments gone awry. And you bring that up to today, and you see all types of uh, interests and anxieties uh, articulated uh, through these characters. So where they're really particularly useful for us is as a reflection, a sort of uh, a naked reflection of what was going on in that particular time period. And uh, so you can see those trends and you can map them across time, whether it's on the page, screen or video game. This is a final little flourish, I suppose, to our interview. And uh, I'm wondering, and I'm sure you're thinking about this because probably everybody is thinking about this. I'm tempted to ask you about the victory of Donald Trump, the um, surprise victory of Trump, and, and probably more generally global instability. And those kinds of things, I, you must be, and I guess your symposium must be thinking about these things in terms of how does this have some kind of relationship to the world of superheroes? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the most uh, kind of prototypical hero in a way is Captain America. Captain America was created as a response to the rise of fascism in Europe. And he's been around for 75 years. And at varying times, that character, that star-spangled patriotic figure, has seemed out of sync with what's happening in the wider world. So, for instance, during the uh, Nixon uh, administration, during the Watergate era, uh, the character Steve Rogers gave up the identity of Captain America, disenchanted with the political system, to become a character called Nomad. And this was a very uh, on-the-nose critique of uh, the U.S., kind of leadership at that time. And it would be, of course, uh, Trump is going to affect all aspects of uh, the arts and popular culture. And we have a number of panels that look at kind of Captain America as a character uh, and look at national and regional identity. And these, uh, these characters are great for sort of articulating that, responding to that, sometimes in sort of uh, satirical ways, sometimes in kind of escapist ways, imagining leadership that perhaps isn't Donald Trump's. Looking to the past, to see how Captain America has served as a barometer for the age, we can then sort of begin to anticipate how the comic book industry, which is still kind of a, you know, very much an American art form and very much an American archetype, the superhero, uh, will respond to this new, let's call it a challenge. And that was Liam Burke. He's a media studies lecturer at Swinburne University of Technology. He researches and writes on the culture of superheroes. And he's one of the key organizers of the Superhero Identities Symposium, which is taking place right now in Melbourne at ACME, the Australian Center for the Moving Image. And we are Communication Mixdown. Hi, I'm Stuart. Hi, I'm Marita. We are the Orb Weavers, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital radio. And streaming at 3cr.org.au. Workers of the world unite. In this climate of divide and conquer, it's time for us to take to the streets and defend multiculturalism and diversity. Victoria Trades Hall and a coalition of trade unions are organising a global street party, and you're invited. Saturday, the 10th of December. Rallying at the State Library at 12pm, then marching to Trades Hall for a street party on Ligon Street. There'll be bands, rides for the kids, music and tonnes of food. There'll also be some political forums about race, racism and how to fight back. This event is brought to you by Trades Hall, NTEU... 
the ETU, the AMIEU, the AMWU, the CWU, the ASU, Geelong Trades Hall, Ballarat Trades Hall and Australia Asia Worker Links. Workers of the world are united and will never be defeated. For more information, contact Matt Kunkel on 0405 748 242. Global Street Party, Saturday the 10th of December. State Library at 12pm. A 3CR supporter. Now, the Superheroes Ide- Superhero Identities Forum has just finished its first day of presentations and panels. Professor Angela Delianis from Melbourne University is one of the key organizers of the symposium, and she's done extensive research on superhero genres and the impact of new media on superhero storytelling. She's on the line, fresh from the symposium's first day of proceedings, and dare I say she's probably, as a key organizer, a bit breathless as well. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to Communication Mixdown, Angela. No problem. Breathless and exhausted. <laughs> I can, yes, I can, I can well imagine. Now, uh, well, let let me just stretch you just a little bit longer. And uh, the first day of the symposium, in terms of issues and debates that were circulating around the symposium today, for you, what was the standout moment? Probably the keynote address this morning by Henry Jenkins from University of Southern California. He was talking about the role that um, superheroes play in activism in the real-life world. And he did this fantastic presentation on how superheroes at various points in their history have actually taken up social causes, but how now that is influencing activist groups um, who are using superhero uh, costumes at, at protests or... Um, using the inspiration to actually try to affect social change um, when it comes to gender or um, race, ethnicity, politics. It was really, really fantastic. That sounds really amazing. Tell us, did he give a, a couple of examples of, of where those things actually took place? He was talking about how, for example, um, in the Middle East, how the superhero has been adapted to uh, Middle Eastern culture and how it's also being adapted in in other countries around the world outside the US to tell the story of the other side because Mm. we, you know, we usually see a Western perspective. Um, So there were examples examples like that, um, examples of the way uh, the the, um, Guy Fawkes mask that we used in V for Vendetta, a famous comic book by... um, Alan Moore, how it's now used in actual protests. Hmm. Um, in um, they've been used in Mexico City and um, a lot of the Latin American countries protest against governments. So yeah, there was there was a whole series of examples. Um, and he also spoke about the new um, Muslim American uh, characters. The new Miss Marvel is a Muslim American teenager, and that introduces a whole other. Sort of cultural dimension to the superhero, and it, it gives um, you know younger younger uh, readers a, a sort of a way into a different universe compared to you know the white American characters that you normally have in these comics. 
Very interesting. And I, I wondered, uh, I, I had a look over the program over the, you know, the, the two days. And what I found was a, a, an amazing array of topics and approaches. Let me just read you, and I'm, you know these titles, but let me yeah. just read some of them to you. What can we learn from the lost superhero he, superheroes of the golden age of, of comics? Another title is The Disembodied Voices, Superhero Identities, and Vocal Performances in Comics, Animation, Radio, and Film. Another title, The Antipodean Antihero, The Role of Satire in Australian Superhero Comics. How do you account, and I know you can't do this very briefly, but how do you account for that range of interests? And also, I guess what struck me about the symposium is the number of people that are involved, scholars, actually yeah. researching in the, in that area. How do you account a, for that? It's a booming area, and you, you think about it, history's been there. I mean, it, it merges as a, as a genre in the 30s. So it's got a very long history, and it's also had a dominant history in... Uh, I mean, who doesn't know what a superhero is? You know, with diverse um, ages. And from the 30s, sure, they begin as, as comics with Superman in, in 38, Batman in 39, Wonder Woman following soon after. Um, but they soon become uh, B-film serials that were shown at the movies. Uh, they were played on radio. Superman had a radio series. So they actually start to reach out in this kind of transmedia way across Hmm. a number of different media, um, and then we get to our own era, of course, and we're totally obsessed with them. You know, the big blockbuster films by Marvel and DC, and they're competing, wildly competing, but the DC-Marvel TV series, you know, the series of superheroes. And again there you've got, um, like, the, the latest one, Luke Cage, the Marvel TV show, very political, and, you know, adopting the whole idea of, you know, the black man with the hoodie. Um, mm. and how he should be feared. Uh, but that show, I mean, the character reads from, you know, famous African-American writers and he even bumps into a famous rapper while a, a shop is being robbed mm. and uh, they recognise each other. And then we see the rapper in, in a radio station actually making up a rap song about Luke Cage. And th- this is uh, this is on uh, cable, is it, or on Netflix? Cable, or uh-huh. yeah. Okay. And Netflix. I think it's on Netflix as well. We'll have to chase that one up. You're facilitating a a, a, a panel tomorrow called Women in Comics. And uh, what I was wondering, what sorts of issues did you expect to be covering in that panel? Well, the, we've got some great speakers. We've got Hope Larson, who's just... Uh, she's an independent comics writer, and she's won the Eisner Award. And DC have recently hired her, and she's taken over Batgirl. Batgirl comics. Tom Taylor, who is um, homegrown Aussie boy from Melbourne, he uh, has he's prolific in um, working in superhero comics, and he's recently uh, been writing the character of X twenty three, who's a clone of a young female clone of uh, Wolverine. And we've got Nicholas Scott, who is the artist who's now doing Wonder Woman. And what's interesting about what's happening in the industry now is you see this, finally, these mainstream companies are realising that there are so many female readers and viewers out there who love superheroes and they've been ignored for decades. Um, And finally, they're realising, because of the almighty dollar, Mm. that there's a market out there that they haven't tapped into. So you're seeing new characters being created with greater diversity. You're seeing more women, writers and artists 
entering the industry. Um, and even Wonder Woman, uh, the blockbuster film next year is being directed by a female director, Jessica Jones's next season is every episode will be directed by a female director. So really addressing problems within the industry. Very interesting. And and uh, anything else that you, strikes you as, as the, something that's going to be special tomorrow that you're looking forward to? Tomorrow we've got the wonderful Paul Dini, who is following on from our Women in Comics panel, which is at 4.30, and he'll be on at 6 o'clock. And Paul Dini is the creator of Batman, the animated series. He wrote the Gotham, the very popular Gotham um, video games, Gotham Arkham video games. Um, He's the creator, co-creator of Harley Quinn, and he's just recently uh, written, well, it's been published, it's a um, graphic novel. Uh, And about a decade ago, he was bashed and nearly killed. And he, he was you know, major trauma and he still gets, gets really upset when he talks about it. And he wrote this comic where he fantasises about you know, his superheroes and the supervillains who um, come and haunt him and also try to draw him out of the sort of depression and trauma that, that he was going through. And so he'll be here talking about this and then doing a book signing afterwards. And he's an American, is he? That's right. Yeah. Huh. Now, there's there are people listening who w- will be very interested in this. C- can they attend tomorrow? And and if so, how would they go about doing that? Yes, I just come to the Australian Centre for the Moving Image in Federation Square, and you can buy separate tickets both for the Women in Comics event and for the the uh, Paul Dini event. And if they access the Acme website, all the information is is up there about you know, where to come and you can pay online for the tickets and right. they are selling fast. Okay, I'm sure I, I can imagine. That's why you're so exhausted. <laughs> and uh, look, finally, I just wanted to ask you uh, if if people can't make it and, and uh, people are very interested in this, as you've said, is there any way of get accessing the, the discussions and the presentations as they're as as they're happening or, or afterwards? Me, yes, yes. Acme are recording all of the presentations. And probably within a couple of weeks, they'll all be online through their website. Excellent. Well, look, they'll be available as podcasts and, and um, yeah, through links. Well, we'll try also try at 3CR, we'll try and get the links put together for our communication mix down page as well. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and we'll hopefully we'll get, we'll get a link to, to that as well. Look, I want to thank you so much for being with us on the program today because I know you're, yeah, you've, you've had a big day and you've got another big day tomorrow. So thanks again and I hope it goes well for you. Many thanks, John. And that was Angela Delianis and she's a professor in screen studies and the director of the Transformative Technologies Research Unit at Melbourne University. And she is, as you heard, one of the key organizers, and I'd say one of the intellectual drivers of the Superhero Identities Symposium, which is happening at ACME tomorrow. And as she said, you can get down there and uh, get a ticket. It does cost, I'm I'm not sure how much it costs, but it, it does cost a little bit. This has been Communication Mixdown. I'm John Langer, and we'll be back next week. Talk to you then.